you, worship team. This month, we are doing a little mini-series in the book of Psalms, the song book of the Bible, and today we're going to take a look at Psalm 13. If you don't have a Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you somewhere, and that psalm can be found on page 453. Psalm 13. As you find your way there, many of you subscribe to the streaming service, do you not, Spotify? And at the end of the year, they give you a, a playlist of your top listened-to songs. It's called Spotify Wrapped. That makes me sound cool, doesn't it? Just got my own little wrapped list from Spotify. and So I got my wrapped list, and I thought, well, I wonder what the most played song was on Spotify. Not Paul Phillips' rap list, but... What was it? And one first song, most popular song. You got to be young to just try to guess this. Flowers by Miley Cyrus. Second was Kill Bill, which sounds like a wonderful song. <laughs> and it's by an artist. Uh, I don't even know if I should say this. SZA. I think is how you say it, S-Z-A. That's probably not at all how you say it, but you won't be surprised. Neither of those were on Paul Phillips's wrapped <laughs> list. But it, as you read through the Psalms, you need to create a wrapped list. You won't remember all 150, but there'll be four or five or a dozen that you'll say, oh, th these, are my, these are my songs. And maybe they're for a season, or maybe they're just part of a favorite playlist. And I've talked about Psalm 13 before, and I, I want to reintroduce it to you to make sure it's on your wrapped list. It's an important song because it's a song you play when you're in crisis. It's a song that you play when your circumstances have delivered more questions than answers. It's a song that you put on your playlist because at some point everyone needs this song. And some of you today need the song, but everyone in 2024 will say, oh, I need to go to Psalm 13. So I want to make sure that's on the top of your playlist. Let's uh, stand together as we read this Psalm of David, Psalm 13. How long, O oh Lord, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O oh Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. You may be seated and let's take a moment to reflect on God's word. Several years ago, a professor and theologian, a guy named Jerry Sitzer, wrote a book 
and it was titled this, A Grace Disguised. A Grace Disguised, How the Soul Grows Through Loss. Sitzer was personally familiar with loss. One night while driving with his mother, his wife, and his children, he was struck by a drunk driver. And immediately he lost his mother, his wife, and his two daughters. And so in a blink of an eye, three generations of Sitzer women were gone. He writes this. In the hours that followed the accident, the initial shock gave way to unspeakable agony. I felt dizzy with grief's vertigo. What a great line. I felt dizzy with grief's vertigo. After arriving at the hospital, I paced the floor like a caged animal only recently captured. That initial deluge of loss slowly gave away, gave way over the next months to a steady, listen to this, the initial deluge of loss slowly gave way over the next month to the steady seepage of pain that comes when grief, like floodwaters refusing to subside, finds every crack and crevice of the human spirit to enter and erode. What a great, what a great way to write that. I was overwhelmed with depression. The foundation of my life was close to caving in. I felt punished by simply being alive. Jerry Sitzer. Thankfully, most of us won't have to experience that kind of pain, but we all will at some point experience the dizziness of grief's vertigo, where everything was fine, and then suddenly something shifts and now everything's spinning, and I'm, I'm nauseous. I can't move forward. Something's happened. And many of us are familiar with this, and how, how after some time, if we don't deal with it, 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 it the, the, what was a flood turns into like a seepage. And it just seeps into every crack and crevice of our lives, and it just erodes hope. We've all felt like life was close to caving in. Notice the heading of Psalm 13 to the choir master. Frequently, David will write some kind of heading and he'll give an example of why I'm writing this particular song. I'm in a cave or I've, 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 need, I've done something wrong or something has happened to me. This is just a generic, hey, this is every day, every week, every year, sort of I have low moments in life. This isn't a specific tragedy. This is where just things start to erode and you just start feeling yourself hopeless. This erosion of hope happens over and over in a life, like the changing of the tides. And so he's writing to the choir master to say, here's a lament that needs to be so common that it's just, turn, let's turn it into a song. This wasn't originally meant to be a sermon. It was meant to be a song. That week after week, people would sing because at different points, they'd find themselves with this erosion of hope. One question I have is, what do you do when you have this erosion of hope and you can't pray any longer? You ever been in that situation? One thing you do is use someone else's words. 
when, when you just have lost the ability to communicate or the energy to communicate, use somebody else's words like Psalm 13. That's why we have these laments. They give words to your feelings when your words run out. That's why David delivered this song to the choir master because we will all at some point sing Psalm 13. There are three phases of David's prayer that I want you to see this morning. One is despair, and the despair then morphs into demand, very common transition, and then finally a decision. Begins with despair, turns into a demand, and then David has to make a decision, a decision that you and I will have to make when we're in despair as well. So first, let's just read again verses 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my day, all the, uh, in sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? You feel the despair immediately four times. How long, how long, how long, how long? How long did it feel like David was going to be in pain? Well, he tells you forever. How, how long? I, I've used this illustration so many times. David was in what I call the frame of pain. You've heard me say that. When you have a painful moment, like you hit your thumb with a hammer, your life shrinks down to your thumb. You ever notice that? I, I go, ow, my whole life is now right here beating in the tip of my thumb. I I can't think of anything else. It's as if this pain is going to last forever. And David is in this frame of pain. Whatever it's caused him, he's stuck in this frame. He's going, how long, how long, how long, how long? It's like his whole life now is in this frame, and in this frame is just pain. He's in a pain that ambushes him psychologically. You see it when he repeats the question, how long? See, so, so often for us, it's not the suffering that gets us. It's not knowing the end. You ever been in that situation? Like, if I just knew next week this would be over, then I could, like, hang on. Or if this was just a season that I knew with my son or my daughter that by the time they reached this age, then they would finally be okay or whatever, then, then I, would, I would be able to manage it. But we don't know. You get into the frame and you don't know if the frame's going to last forever or it's going to last a day. So not knowing it, it, it hampers or it attacks, it ambushes David psychologically. And then he has a psychological fatigue that moves to being spiritually ambushed. Notice how the phrases go, how long will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I have sorrow in my heart? It's not just uh, psychologically ambushed. He's been spiritually ambushed as if God's gone, gone away. The face of God often is connected to the favor of God. Most of us know this from number six, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face, his favor shine upon you. So when, when, when God's face, when his countenance is turned to you, he's gracious to you, he gives you peace. And yet David, who's the man after God's own heart, somehow he feels like I've lost the face and I've lost the favor of God. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. I'm in my frame, but God's not in my frame. 
It's as if he's outside and I can't seem to find him. I feel psychologically ambushed. I feel spiritually ambushed. And the moment I need the most help from God is the moment where I can't find God at all. That's where David is. That's where C.S. Lewis was when his wife died of cancer. He wrote a book called A Grief Observed. And the tone of it in this paragraph that I'm going to read you is, is a, a Psalm 13, verse 1 and 2 tone. Listen. Go to God when your need is desperate, when all other help is vain. And what do you find? You find a door slammed in your face. A sound of a double bolting door from the inside. After that, silence. You may as well turn away. The longer you wait, the more emphatic the silence will become. There are no lights in the windows. Was it ever inhabited? This is from C.S. Lewis. This is after he wrote Mere Christianity. This is after he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. This is after he's convinced so many people that God is real. Or maybe at least a lion. And now he's writing, and do you, do you, you feel the Psalm 13? Was the light ever on? Like, I thought the light was real, but now that I'm in pain and I can't find God, I'm now beginning to wonder, and I've wondered if you've been in this place, was it ever really on or was I just fooling myself? If you've been in that place or you are in that place, welcome to Psalm 13. David, C.S. Lewis, Jesus, they've all been in that frame. This despair quickly turns into a demand, which is so common for each of us, verse 3 and 4. Consider and answer me. Now, this is really a bad translation because it sounds polite. Now, oh, consider, oh, Lord, and answer me. That's, that's not what it is. This is a, a Hebrew expression that's an imperative. It's a command that has urgency. And the way we think of consider is politely. And that's not how it should be. It should be, God, look at me. Listen to me right now. You feel that? I, I move from, from a despair and I, I, I've had this seepage of pain that's eroding into every crack and crevice of my life. So now my whole life feels like it's filled with pain and I can't find God. And so what do I do? I, I, I scream out, God, pay attention. Are you awake? Can, can you give me some attention right now? Not in eternity. I need something right now. That's the feeling David is trying to communicate. Verse 4, light up my eyes. Most scholars think this is an expression David uses for depression. That the light is going out in my soul, in my eyes. Everything's getting dark around me. This psychological and spiritual fatigue is so heavy. And David just doesn't see a way forward. This is heavy. This isn't a, this isn't a safe, uh, cleaned up, prim and proper prayer. 
This is a desperate prayer. This is a demanding prayer. It's a, a prayer by somebody who's slipping into depression and, fra- and afraid they're not going to make out. It, it's, it's a prayer in the Bible. I think the point of it is David is modeling something for you and I. And that is it's, he helps us see what it looks like to bring these raw emotions before God. So frequently we just feel like maybe I'm not supposed to express these raw emotions. Like, God, you've abandoned me. I don't know if I should be able to say that because I'm a Christian. Well, David said it. And it's written in the Bible. So he's providing a model to say, you're going to have these kinds of feelings as a follower of God, even if you're a man or woman after God's own heart. And so he's providing this way. One commentator says, it's not a sign of spiritual maturity to get to a point of being emotionless. (laughs) I love that. It's somehow the feeling is as you mature, at least in some circles, is if you just become stoic and nothing really matters anymore, nothing bothers you like your Teflon. That's not a sign of spiritual maturity. That might be a sign of being frozen but not being healthy. When, when you're experiencing this darkness, when you're experiencing this trauma, it's, a, it's important to ex- have an expression of your feelings, to find some way to say it. And if you can't say it, David's giving you some words to say it. And to acknowledge or to lament, to sing as David is doing his grief. When you have this kind of grief, it's having a massive impact on you, and it's going to go somewhere. There's a a great book called The Body Keeps the Score, and it's about uh, people who've experienced trauma to say, it may be past, but your body like stores the woundedness of it, and it then affects the rest of your life. And David's saying, hey, my body is keeping score. And if I don't have a way for like a river for it to flow out, then I'm going to get stuck in this frame of pain. It's going to seep into my life. So I've got to have a way to express it. And he expresses it with a song as a way to say, it needs to flow. It's coming into me. I don't need to get, I don't want it to get stuck. I need it to flow through me. That's a sign of maturity. So you don't get stuck in the frame of pain. A few years ago, I had a very strange but delightful conversation. I answered my phone from an unknown number, which I don't usually do. And an 80-something-year-old woman was on the other line. And she lived in Arkansas. And her name is Linda. And I knew Linda a little bit. She was my mother's best friend growing up. And she just wanted to talk about my mother. And I thought it was delightful that she called me. I, I don't know Linda that well. It's not somebody I keep in touch with. My mother died almost 40 years ago. And for some reason, Linda was sitting in Arkansas and thought, I want to talk to Paul about his mom. So she called, and we had this very delightful conversation, a lot of laughter, a lot of tears. Because when, my, my, when I was four years old, my father died, and my mother, who was 34, moved back to her hometown where Linda lived. And so she and Linda were in a little circle of friendship together, a mom 34 with four children. 
And I asked Linda, I said, what was that season like? I mean, when you're four, you don't know what that's like as an adult. And she says this, your mom was a person full of joy and she loved to sing. But in that season, she only sang sad songs. See, you're going to be in a Psalm 13 season. It's not going to last forever. The frame of pain is not going to last. But when you're in that frame, you're going to sing Psalm 13. And not one time. (laughs) Don't you wish it was just one time? And then suddenly you're out of the frame? When you're sad, how, how often do you hit that repeat? I could listen to a song 20 times in a row just going, I still feel this way after 19 times. It's, it's, you, you sing it in a season as a way to say, I'm still feeling the bubbling up of these emotions and I've got to have them go somewhere. And there's a season where you sing these songs and there will be a season for Psalm 13. Maybe that's, you're in that season today and God brought you here just for his word. And I'm thankful that if it's not, I'm grateful, but everyone's going to have a Psalm 13 season. David then makes a transition, transition that you and I get to choose whether we make or not. He, he goes from despair to demandingness to verse 5, a decision. David makes a decision. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Listen carefully to this one commentary. Lament, which is this psalm, it's a lament psalm, is intended to lead us somewhere. In verse 5, we've reached our destination. The word but marks David's critical turn towards trust. So so he's had his despair, he's had his demandingness, but then if he wants to keep moving, he has to make a decision to trust in God. But it's a choice you must make. It's a step that you must take. I know far too many people who are stuck in their complaints. Don't don't get stuck there. That's just not a great place to live the rest of your life. Last thing he says, trust is believing what you know to be true, even though your suffering might call that belief into question. Trust is believing what you know to be true. I know there's certain facts that, that are, are, I'm losing during my feeling. <laughs> you ever had that happen? I'm having a feeling right now, and the facts don't matter because I'm just feeling pain. And in that frame, you have to import the, the facts to say, no, I know this is true even though I'm not feeling it right now. Back to Jerry Sitzer, we do not always have the freedom to choose the role we must play in this life, but we can choose how we're going to play the roles we've been given. I mean, who would choose Jerry Sitzer's role? Nobody. But now he gets to choose what role he's going to play. And you get to choose. David gets to choose. He, he's, he's had his despair. He's had his demandingness. And now he's got to make a decision. Is he going to be forever stuck in this frame of pain, forever stuck in this seepage and eroding hope? Or at some point, is he going to say, I'm turning away from my feelings and I'm trusting the fact that the Lord's steadfast love endures forever. And he decides to say, I'm going to step into that frame now and step out of the frame of pain. Notice a key key thing here between verse 4 and 5. 
nothing has changed in David's life. He doesn't say, well, I've made all these demands. Oh, now everything's better and I trust in the Lord. No, 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 no. Nothing's better and I trust in the Lord. I have trusted in your steadfast love. The book of Lamentations, a whole book, a whole song book of laments. So if you're really down, we've got a whole book for you. It's written by the prophet Jeremiah, who's known as the weeping prophet. Jeremiah had a tough role. He was called into a tough place. Can't marry, never have children. He preached to a congregation in a country faithfully, who in the end literally drove a spear through his back while he was praying. That's how Jeremiah died. At the hands of his own congregation while he was praying. So Jeremiah was qualified to lament. And I just want to read a portion of Lamentations 3. Listen again to the Psalm 13, 1 and 2. God has driven me into darkness without any light. This is a faithful man, preacher of the word. His hand is against me the whole day long. Though I cry out for help, he shuts out my prayer, just like C.S. Lewis. My endurance has perished. So has my hope for the Lord. But, it's a key moment. Jeremiah has to make the same decision David has to make. Jeremiah has to make the same decision you and I have to make if we're in Psalm Psalm 13, verses 1 and 2. But I call this to mind. I'm, I'm pulling in some facts, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are what? New every morning. These facts of God's steadfast love are pouring into my soul morning after morning as I'm in the frame of pain, helping me wash out those feelings and trust again in the facts that the Lord loves me. And so in the midst of some very raw emotions, Jeremiah makes a critical decision. He calls to mind the truth about God. He knows he has personally experienced the steadfast love of the Lord. And now he's got to bring that back into his memory and say, it's still true. It's still true. I can't can't live according to my feelings. I can't deny that they're there. I need a way to express them and let them flow through me, but I can't make them the driver of my life. Pastor Brian Loritz has a great sermon on Psalm 13. Here's what he says. When you're going through a crisis, remember this, your feelings make wonderful passengers but horrible drivers. Your feelings are like your two-year-old child. They need to be in the car, not in the trunk. I know some of you are like, I've really felt like putting my two-year-old in a trunk before. We strap them in, we engage with them, but we don't put them behind the wheel. Some people stuff their feelings in the trunk of their lives, and yet slowly the pain seeps out and erodes away, away their life. Others have the opposite problems. Their feeling are driving the car of their faith. So they're constantly running over a cliff When life circumstances don't go your way, your life feels like it's in free fall. When you're going through tough times, always let what you know about God 
trump how you feel about God. That, that's what David's doing. Here is how I feel about God. Where are you? That's, you need to have a way to express that. But don't allow that to be the main thing. The main thing are the facts that I know about God, that his steadfast love for me endures forever. So how do you make it through this frame of pain and not get stuck? How does your soul grow through loss? How do you make it through a crisis? Well, you remember that you're not going to be a stranger to darkness. If David felt this way, if Jesus felt this way, my God, my God, why, why have you forsaken me? If C.S. Lewis felt this way, you're going to feel this way. When you feel this way and you run out of words, use someone else's words. Just, I, I'm so much pain, I can't even think about praying. Well, then read a prayer, sing a prayer, use somebody else's word to, so you don't get locked up. When you sing this sad song, allow your emotions to, to flow through. To, to notice them, to express them. Don't allow them to be in control. Finally, you make a critical turn. You decide to trust. That God's steadfast love, even though it may feel distant, is wrapped around my soul. God's love who brought you into this relationship is going to carry you all the way home. Let me end with this true story. World War II, Elgin Staples was 19 years old, served in the Navy, served on a ship called the USS Astoria, sailing in the South Pacific, fighting against the Japanese Army. And on August 9th, his ship was hit by a Japanese cruiser, and his ship was hit at an area that Elgin was standing near. And the shockwave of the hit threw him off the boat into the ocean. He had shrapnel in his legs. He was dazed. But fortunately, he had put on this little rubber sort of life raft around his chest before he had taken his position, so he was afloat. For several hours, Staples floated in the water, wondering if he'd ever get back home. And he just noticed in this rubber tube the description, where it was made, and then a sort of a funny series of numbers. Eventually, Staples was picked up and rescued, sent back home to Akron, Ohio, which was the home of the Firestone plant who produced the rubber ring. <coughs> Staples kept the life ring as a special reminder of what saved his life. And then he tells this story. I sat with my mother at the kitchen telling her all about what happened and how the belt saved my life. And then my mother informed me that she, during the war, had gotten a job at the Firestone plant. She wanted to do her part in the war. She was an inspector. Each inspector had a unique series of numbers they would stamp on the belt, assuring its ability to work when needed. So I gave Mama the belt. 
she read the numbers and her mouth dropped open. All she could do was whisper. Son, that's my inspection number. We stood in the kitchen and hugged for a long time. My mother had put her arms halfway around the world to save me. The one who saved Elgin's life was the one who brought Elgin life. And you may be bobbing up and down in the midst of your crisis wondering how long, but I need you to know that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The one who gave you life will be the one who sustains your life. God's steadfast love is like his unique inspection number. It guarantees your survival. So even when your crisis ends in death and when you finally get back home, God will show us that he was the one who brought us life. He was the one who sustained us life. And he has a unique inspection number on your life to say, I'm going to get you all the way back home. That's the steadfast love of the Lord that endures forever. And that's the truth you have to have embedded in your soul at the moment of crisis so you don't get stuck in despair and demand. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, this song is a song that's so critical for the health of every soul here. Because we will, we will have this crisis. We'll have a place in our life where we don't understand. There's more questions than we have answers. We're in the frame of pain. It feels like it's going to be forever. And we cry out like you cried out. Where, where are you? And I know some people have cried out today. That cry. Would you meet them in this song? Would you help everyone here that has trusted in you know that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever? And that even though we may not feel it, you have your hands not reaching down from across the globe, but from heaven itself, and you're going to carry us home. So no matter what, we may be bobbing up and down in the pain of our life right now, we can trust in you. Thank you for giving this song for our soul to sing. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.